Welcome again to It Doesn't Take a Genius, conversation with introspective perspectives and pithy points of view. Here are your hosts, my friends, Max and Marty. I think that's Mark and Mike. Yeah, whatever. Ramsey! Marshall, such a pleasure to see you again. And I notice uh, today, uh, for those of you watching the YouTube video, I'm apparently tan. I, I look downright Californian right now. Oh, you are a bronze god. I think I just have lighting issues, but I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Because, yeah, if the sun comes out from behind the cloud, you could be the palest guy. Oh, I am the palest guy. In that the is history of pale guys. The, uh, so we're at part two of our uh, series on dignity. Uh, yesterday, right. yesterday, we covered the 10 elements you see before you. And uh, I thought that was pretty powerful. I learned a lot and uh, excited to see uh, what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and I, I thought I would just show these 10 elements uh, for uh, just uh, the sake of a, a little bit of a, a soft restart of, of the conversation. Any of the ideas, you know, dignity literally means worthiness. So, you know, when you're honoring somebody's dignity, when you're treating them with dignity, you're basically treating them um, like they count, like they're like they're worth something, and there are all these examples of ways to do that. You know, accepting their uh, their identity, uh, treating them fairly, recognizing them, including them. Uh, some some pretty basic, you know, humanity one hundred and one things. Um, and uh, what we talked about is that you know when you honor that dignity, they flourish, and you flourish. So today we're going to talk about the flip side of that of what happens when dignity is violated. So that's that's where we're headed, um, and I'll I'll go ahead and put up a a little uh, graphic here uh, of uh, some brain scans and of uh, an ER. And the reason I'm doing that, and this is a quote from Donna Hicks, uh, her her book on dignity is is what we're drawing from uh, for a lot of this material. She says social pain and physical pain share the same neural pathways in the brain, but. Unlike a physical injury, there are no broken bones, no blood, no obvious sign of a wound. So, you know, the, wow. the, the gist is basically that, you know, we can, we can do the brain scans now and we do know that it turns out your brain treats violations of dignity uh, the same as if it were physical pain. Um, so we could sort of stop right there and just think about, oh, yeah, we're hurting people. That's literally what's happening uh, when dignity gets violated. I don't know if that makes you think of anything right away, but that's that's sort of point one. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The, the first thing I thought of was my third grade. So in third grade, we had this mantra, right? Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I think maybe I was led astray. Right. <laughs> right. My whole childhood... Was fake. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you know, think about how hard it is to uh, admit to that kind of hurt and pain, right? You know, we we've talked about this on our podcast before about uh, just uh, expressing sadness, expressing loss, uh, expressing hurt. You know, it usually comes out as anger. Why does it come out as anger? It's because anger is on top of the sadness. We don't express sadness. We don't express loss. Because if you do, what happens? Right. That, that's seen as weakness. Right. I'm weak now. So I can't admit to that at work. So let's just, you know, hunker our shoulders down and move on. Mm -hmm. um, 
But look, I understand some people are still listening to this and saying, you know, that still sounds a little hippy dippy. I mean, you know, kind of grow up and get over yourself. Well, I'd like to uh, bring to mind a quote that you shared with me, um, not the biggest sports guy in the world, but you shared with me uh, LA Lakers coach Phil Jackson's uh, phenomenal quote here, anger is the enemy of instruction. And I know this is something you've used uh, with your clients, Mike. And I just love this idea that, you know, gosh, when, when you're hurting and it's put you in that place, like forget developing. If you want your people to develop, don't send them down this road. Don't violate their dignity because they literally can't get past this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw this in, in action. My, my daughter was on the, the high school tennis team and, and the coach, uh, incredible, incredible coach, uh, you know, earlier in his career, it, you know, a, a player would come off the court after a tough loss and they'd immediately start talking about, you know, what, what, what the player could have done differently, you know, more better, different or less, uh, you know, going forward. And he figured out that, that at that point in the game, uh, they're, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're disappointed. Mm -hmm. There's all this uh, emotion going on. And none of what he said instructionally was getting through. Just wasn't sinking in. Yeah. So now they come off the court, he pats them on the back, says, hey, we'll you know, get some water. We'll talk about this later. Yeah. And, and once they're in a, the proper frame of mind, then we can have that conversation. Yeah. Uh, and Boy, that's so, great. yeah, he found that, that, yeah, his coaching interactions went so much better. Well, and you see, I've added a little sentence here. Shame doesn't help either. So uh, you know, thinking to some of the material Pamela Cole has shared with us, uh, uh, one of our one of our mentors, and you know, just the idea of when your brain is in this place, you're not going to uh, develop, you're not going to grow, um, you're not going to perform really. So, so you know, if you want development performance from your people, don't violate their dignity. That's that's the the gist of this. Well, one of the one of the things that comes to mind as you're talking is is, and I have a lot of managers who do this, is that they think they're going to give instruction through sarcasm. <laughs> right. And and as I'm as I'm reading your your slide here and thinking, okay, uh, sarcasm, you know, as our good friend Pamela Cole has told us, serves to wound and confuse. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm wounded and confused, and you expect that somewhere in there learning is taking place yeah and so it, it's not you know you can say hey uh, are you ever going to call another prospect in your life right <laughs> i'm not thinking you know prospecting is a great activity and i should do more of it all i'm thinking is you're a jerk and you've embarrassed me in front of my peers right. i'm not thinking anything about prospecting even <laughs> though that was where you were trying to get me to improve right. so so yeah yes yeah, I would add, yeah, anger, shame, and sarcasm uh, are not useful tools of instruction because yeah. people are no longer focused on the positive behavior that you're trying to get them to do. Well, it, and, and what you said there is, is so interesting because if you flip that around and you got into that uh, uh, employee's head and they really did share and said, you know, when you say stuff like that, you know, it really embarrasses me in front of my peers. Um I think that would get through to the average manager. If he realized, if she realized that that's what she was doing, she'd stop, right? But we don't tend to go there. We don't tend to get vulnerable with each other. And right. Well, and you'd have to add, right? Because the manager would want to hear what's in it for me. You know, the fact that you were embarrassed, 
not so not so maybe not so important to the band right right could be but maybe not but i was embarrassed and didn't get the message that you were trying to communicate right Ooh, right. well now that's yeah now that's you know, okay I, I need you to hear what i have to say if yeah. that system is not working it might prompt me to change right uh, so yeah explaining why the embarrassment was not a positive factor in behavioral change might help someone to understand but you're right we don't have that conversation even to begin with well i'm, I'm going to put up a picture of my youngest and this is i guess this was a year or so ago um and she's obviously much bigger than when yesterday we discussed that you know she basically i could palm her skull she was so tiny as a preemie um but but the the truth is still the fact that she's very vulnerable you know she's she's helpless by herself frankly and and needs lots of help and asks for lots of help and again a quote from uh donna hicks uh vulnerability is where the truth lies um hicks's point is you know she says we're we ought to be thinking like babies you know you'd never consciously harm a baby right uh you, you just wouldn't do it and um they're, they're, but they're inherently worth something, despite the fact that they're basically helpless, right? Maybe because of the fact that they're helpless, in fact, there's there's something to that that makes them valuable. And she says, we ought to just all have signs hanging around our neck, if you will, saying handle with care. And mm -hmm. that's, I'm, I'm going to tease that out over the next couple slides, but that the, the general idea of you know, vulnerability actually is kind of attractive. It's it's something that uh, draws us to people in a lot of ways when it's done the right way and when it's treated respectfully when it happens. Oh, I would I would agree 100%. It's one of those things that that when we see it in others, we're drawn to it. Right. And then when we think about doing it ourselves, we think, ah, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, wait a minute, I I. I find that I respond well to that, but yet I don't see that it would work for me. Right. And, and yeah, people have this incredible ability to, to you know, rationalize away uh, what they know to be true, right. uh, but they don't want to apply it to themselves. I, I think that's spot on. And, and to your point earlier, you know, so what's in it for the manager? Well, uh, a quote from The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, uh, the book by uh, Patrick Lencioni, um, that is just, I think it's the best book on teamwork I've ever read. Uh, he talks about vulnerability. He says, employees who can't trust their leader to be vulnerable are not going to be vulnerable and build trust with one another. So you're going to have to model this kind of behavior. But once you do, you basically have unlocked the building block of trust that, that teamwork is based on. Um, and, and sometimes that might just be teamwork with you as their boss, right? Maybe it's not a whole team scenario, but you two being vulnerable with each other, and you're going to have to lead the charge, whoever's the leader here, right? You're going to have to be the one that, that uh, goes to vulnerability first, but it gives you this ability to unlock trust between the two of you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a, a store owner, and he came into the manager's meeting, and, and, it, and it was amazing. He, he said, listen, we've got this issue. He says, and I, I truly don't know what to do. Mm. And I love that. There are a lot of smart people in this room and I need your help. And he kind of laid it out and you could, you could physically see people leaning in towards him. 
Mm. You know, and you could mentally feel like they were leaning in, like, we have to help this guy. <laughs> right? <laughs> got to help this man. He's got a problem and he doesn't yeah. know what to do. Yeah. You know, and, and, and he's, he's, he's the owner, right? He's, right. he's supposed to be the, you know, if you, if you believe in the old leadership, he's supposed to be the smartest guy in the room. Right. He's the hero. Yeah. Yeah. He's the, he's the guy on the mountain pointing their directions right. and he doesn't know what to do. And instead of finding it like, well, I don't know how he got this job. <laughs> you know, there was, there, there was none of that, you know, none of this, you know, well, he shouldn't have this position. It was, I need to help him. Yeah. And, yeah. and they did. And they came up with some amazing ideas and they implemented one of them and it worked out fantastically. But for him to start that meeting, uh, was just it was just so powerful and so true and and got us to such a good place yeah it's a true moment and and i think it's because it's true that you're really worth something no matter what your 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 worthiness your your value doesn't depend on the uh, opinions of the people in the room you mm -hmm. know it's it's true that you're just worth something and vulnerable people who know that can be vulnerable um I, I would go ahead and, and I'm going to put a Bible verse up here and, and uh, then I'm going to go to a couple other proofs. But I would go so far as to say that, you know, according to many faith traditions, but I happen to know the Judeo-Christian one, um, honoring someone's dignity is honoring something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is one you've probably heard uh, from Genesis. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So th this is a cornerstone of Western civilization to be able to say um, people are image bearers of God himself. And so they deserve to be treated with that kind of worthiness built into the equation. Um, so I, I don't expect a lot of dialogue here, but just, you know, I, I just want to lay down the fact that, you know, what you said was that moment in the management meeting was true. And that's because it is true that that guy had a worthiness to him that went above and beyond whether or not he had the solution to this problem and whether or not the people saw him as this amazing leader or not. He had some value that he knew of himself, and that allowed him, I suspect, to open up and say, hey, my worthiness is intact. It doesn't depend on this situation or you people let me be vulnerable and tell you what's going on. I think that's why this is such a big deal because it unlocks that potential for yourself. Oh, definitely. Definitely. This is such a, a powerful thought and to, and to think that it's bigger than any one person. Right. Uh, maybe gives people the, the courage to, you know, try to be better at it. Yeah. I, I, I think that's spot on. And, and I'm going to double down on what I said. Now I'm, I, uh, Oh, Mike, should I read this whole thing? Will you kill me if I read this whole thing? No, um, no, no. Homer would be proud if you read <laughs> from the Iliad. <laughs> so, so I think, I think we think the Iliad, Homer's Iliad was written uh, or at least compiled in uh, the 800s BC. I think that's right. Um, and it's basically the story of Achilles, who, who is this sort of the greatest of the Greek warriors um, at, at the beginning of the epic. And it's this, you know, it's, it's this huge, huge book of poetry that they could recite from memory back in the day. You know, the, the legend is Homer was blind. And, uh, you know, all these uh, folks who quoted it could quote big, huge passages of this. This was, this was a foundational document that everybody talked about, um, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, Homer's works. 
Um, but you start this particular epic 10 years into the siege of Troy. And uh, Achilles, at the beginning of the story, quits. He's their best warrior, and he quits the battle because it's a long story, but his honor and his dignity, you could say, get violated. And he, he rejoins the battle only after his best friend is killed by this uh, uh, prince of the city of Troy, Hector. And Achilles is so angry and probably so disgusted with himself and embarrassed that he set out the battle and let his, his best friend uh, take over that um, he kills Hector. So Achilles kills the prince of Troy who killed his best friend. And then uh, just to get his, uh, as dignity violating as possible, he uh, pulls Hector's corpse behind a chariot, uh, just around and around in circles, over and over again. And uh, like, like I, I think it describes that he pierces uh, leather thongs into his ankles, and and you know, just I mean, like just just tries to abuse the corpse as much as he possibly can. That's what Achilles does to this body. All right, Hector's body. And so what you're reading here to me is the climax of, of the Iliad, and I'll, I'll read it for our audio audience, but it's basically Hector's father, uh, King Priam, King Priam, uh, he crosses enemy lines to beg for his son's body back from the man who murdered his son. And, and notice that nothing gets through to Achilles in the story until you get to the connection that both of them understand. So I'll, I'll read it and then we can talk about that connection point because it applies to everything we're talking about here. So the quote from King Prime is, um, I come now to the ships to beg his corpse from you, bringing a princely ransom. Respect the gods, Achilles, and show mercy towards me, remembering your own father for I am more to be pitied than he, since I have brought myself to do what no man, no other man on earth would do. I have lifted to my lips the hand of the man who killed my sons. So all sorts of reasons given there, but he lets loose with this bit saying, remember your own father. I'm more to be pitied than he, since, since I have actually come to my son's murderer and am kissing his hands and kneeling to him. Well, we know the Achilles story, right? Achilles heel, right? He, he, he was dipped and, and uh, invincible, except for that one part on his heel, heel, and he knew that he was going to get glory but die young. And so he knew he was going to have his dad bury him probably in a sense, right? Or, or, or his mom, if you want to say it that way. And so, uh, so he, he gets where Priam is coming from here. He gets the idea of uh, having to bury your son. So, so the next paragraph is, his words had moved Achilles to tears at the thought of his own father, and taking the old man's hands, he set him gently from him, while both were lost in memory. Priam, remembering man-killing Hector, and wept aloud at Achilles' feet, while Achilles wept for his father Peleus, and for Patroclus, who was his friend, once more, and the sound of their lament filled the hut. So finally a breakthrough from these two armies, and it's because the father makes the connection point with the son, uh, uh, the son's killer saying, we both know what this is like. We, we, both, we both understand this. We have an empathy moment. Uh, despite being mortal enemies, we make that connection. So uh, 
maybe that's a, a, a little lofty for our simple little podcast, but I, I just love the idea that there is this um, moment where uh, they make a connection. There's a, there's a vulnerability moment because uh, the father is able to make this connection point and say, here's the kind of grief I'm going through. And you get it, don't you? Mm-hmm. Well, and you hit upon the key word. It's, this may be the, the ultimate demonstration of empathy. Right. <laughs> where where I, can, I can truly, truly put myself in your shoes. Right. And in doing so, it, it changes how I see the world and how I behave. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. Well, so with, with that being said, we've got a list of, uh, of, of 10 things that we're going to get to talking about um, uh, dignity. But I, I did want to remind people, if you haven't seen it, we've mentioned it before on the podcast, and we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, but Chick-fil-A has this powerful video uh, called Every Person Has a Story, Every Life Has a Story. And it uh, features, uh, it, it's a training video for their employees. And it features all of these customers and, and, and a couple employees and a manager at a Chick-fil-A and little bubbles sort of pop up over their shoulder that talk about the story going on on the inside of them. And Mike, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've never, uh, we, we've used it in the uh, Ford uh, consumer experience movement. And every dealership that I've shown it to um, I've, I've never not had somebody cry. At least one person cries. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, and I remember, yeah, when I first saw it, that, that, you know, I put it on the shelf for a little while. Uh, <laughs> right. you know, I'll be honest. I was like, okay, this is a, this is a cornerstone piece. And I'm like, sure. Yeah. I'm going to set it over here. And, you know, cause I, I, you know, when you talk about the, the hyper-masculine world of automotive retail (laughs) you know i thought this is not going to go well you know and 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 lo and behold you know i heard a few stories from you know other coaches like you you know using it with tremendous success having the conversations that you'd hoped it would spark yeah and sure enough yeah i dusted it off and i i tried it and then lo and behold yeah it became this cornerstone to to you know you know, people understanding that that everyone they deal with, and in the Chick Fil A video, you know, mostly focuses on customers. But right, we ended up in the stores talking about that that every single person that you work with, that you right. encounter during the day in the workplace, is going through something that's tough. They're they're carrying a burden that's, that's right. huge, and that's you right. may not have no idea what it is. But why don't you? You don't have to know. But why don't you just assume everybody that you meet's going through something? and be nice. <laughs> you know, right. we didn't call it dignity back then. We just said, right. you know, can you just be nice to each other? Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, this video made that so poignantly clear and, and yeah, it's got millions of hits on YouTube and. Oh yeah. And, yeah. 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 There's so everybody connects stories. in some way with the video because there are so many different stories, happy stories, sad stories, uh, really intense stories not so intense stories that just keep popping up over shoulders that, you know, you, there's something that you connect with. And, and that's sort of the point here is you've got to have that connection point. So we'll, we'll get to that in episode three. Um, but for now, let's talk about the 10 temptations to violate dignity. And, and I like to just point out, you know, also called the 10 temptations to focus on self-preservation at the expense of anything else. You know, we, we, we all have a little bit in us that says, oh, I, might want to be defensive or or uh, 
you know, point blame somewhere else uh, because I'm trying to protect my own ego or my own position at work or, or whatever it is. So that's a lot of what these uh, temptations are about. Um, so yes. I, re I remember when, when Moses came down from the mountain with tablets <laughs> with right. the, ten, the 10 temptations, which later became a great Motown uh, group. So, <laughs> Shame on you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And as you can see, these are so painful that I'm now deflecting the conversation so that we don't actually get into them. Right. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. Speaking of. I think it's uh, on the list. That's right. <laughs> It is, it is and, and taking the bait um, has another Old Testament reference, an eye for an eye. Um, and, you know, just this idea of, uh, you know, you, you let bad behavior of others determine your own behavior. Like, like you know, he was so bad, he made me act bad. Um, but uh, Donna Hicks says, restraint is the better part of dignity. Don't justify returning the harm when someone has harmed you. Do not do unto others as they do unto you you know, treat them as you want to be treated, in other words. So a little bit of the golden rule mixed in with the Old Testament there. Uh, don't take the bait. Right, well, it goes back to the, uh, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. Right. And right. so, yeah, they stole from you. So no, it's not okay for you to steal something from them. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 not the way we're going to handle this. Uh, number two, saving face. Mm. Uh, don't lie, cover up or deceive yourself. Tell the truth about what you have done. Yeah. So you know, true. If there are any politicians or would-be politicians, mm -hmm. always know that the cover-up is worse than the crime. That's right. Yeah, nobody, nobody, you know, this is America. Right. You can do some pretty horrible stuff. And if you go out and apologize and own it, they will let you make another movie. They will elect you back to office. Yeah. If you cover yep. it up, <laughs> right, there's a special prosecutor for that. <laughs> That's right. And, and you know, it's, it is really true, the, the book Leadership and Self-Deception, Getting Out of the Box. Um, the box is the metaphor for that self-deception. And man, when you, when you build it, people know you're in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, you know, they, they sense it. Um, so, so just go ahead and admit, just admit. Um, third one on the list, shirking responsibility. You don't get to say shirking enough in our day and age. Uh, when you have violated the dignity of others, admit that you have made a mistake and apologize for hurting them. So like, just, just own up to it. Just go ahead and own it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's so, it's, 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 it's so scary to think about doing, and then it feels so good when you do it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, you, you, Cause you never know how the conversation is going to go. Listen, Hey, I, in the meeting, when I said such and such. That was out. Of, that was not called for. That was out of hand, and I apologize. Yep. Right. Are they going to explode and go? You're right. You're a low life bushwhacking, fin flappings. You know, or they're going to go. Oh, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was weighing on my mind. I had a department head apologize to a department head for blowing his top in front of his people um, in a meeting. Formally apologize at the you know just in front of everybody. Guess what changed the tone of everything last week. You know, guess what was the breakthrough? It was him doing that. So it, it's a huge deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just not only do you own it, but yeah, that you take the extra step of apologizing. Right. Right. The, um, all right. So here we go. Depending on false dignity, uh, beware of the desire for external recognition of your dignity in the, in the form of approval and praise. 
If we depend only on others for validation of our worth, we, we are seeking false dignity. Our dignity also comes from within. Yeah. And that's back to talking about the image bearer, right? Uh, you, if you're an image bearer of God, you know, there's, there's some inherent dignity. It's, it's in you. Um, so, so why are you looking at it from the perspective of, you know, I'm not worth anything unless I get praise, unless I get, you know, some sort of status, that's false dignity. The dignity comes from inside. Um, maintaining false security. Number five. Is that number five? I think it's number five. Uh, don't let your need for connection. We're back to connection again. We do want connection, but don't let your need for connection compromise your dignity. If we remain in relationship in which our dignity is routinely violated, our need for connection has outweighed our need to maintain our own dignity. And that's a problem because even personal dignity, you, you got to protect your own dignity as well. Um, so don't let people abuse you in, in, uh, with, with the intent of, I got to have this relationship. I've got to have these connections. If I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not worth something. No, you're not worth something only because you let yourself not be worth something. Protect your dignity. Yeah, if you're, you know, what's the, there's a meme along this line. It says, yeah, if you're, if you're seated at a table and the people seated at your table don't uh, respect your dignity, change tables. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, why are, why are you there? Right. Uh, avoiding confrontation. And I had starred this one uh, because this is, this is mine. This is, uh, I don't know about the rest of these, but I own this one. Okay. Uh, uh, don't allow someone to violate our dignity without saying something. Stand up for yourself. Don't avoid confrontation. A violation is a signal that there is something in the relationship that needs to change. Mm. And, and I justify part of that is, is well, I don't want that relationship anymore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I go kind of back to the first one and go, I'm leaving. You know, I'm going to find me another table. Uh, so, but yeah, if it's one of these things where, where you, you, you know, maybe it's a family thing where, yeah, this is, this is the group I, I have to interact with. And, yeah. and if that's the case and you can't change tables, then you do have to say, hey, listen, when you do this, uh, right, it, it creates this feeling and, and this is why it's not good and we need, to, we need to stop. Yeah. And Mike, I would say that that's probably the number one theme for uh, how I'm helping people have interventions within an organization is just the ability to say, here's what I observed and here's how it made me feel. There's the vulnerability moment, right? How I feel about it might be completely wrong. I might have completely misjudged that you were on purpose trying to, uh, you know, make fun of me or whatever it is that, that, that I personally perceived. But it's true that I felt that way. And so you, you, you have to confront, you have to go there and tell the truth about that um, or, or you're violating your own dignity again. You're, you're letting the relationship uh, take higher priority. So um, claiming innocent victimhood, assuming innocent victimhood. Don't assume you are an innocent victim in a troubled relationship. Open yourself up to the idea that you might be contributing to the problem. You may not be aware of it, we need to be able to look at ourselves from an outside perspective so that we can see ourselves as others see us. And this is the counterpoint to uh, avoiding confrontation because now we're basically saying, and the confrontation problem might be me. So let me be able to see this from their perspective. Um, again, it's, it's assuming positive intentions at the same time that you might be 
going there to have that open and frank conversation about the thing that you, you need to confront. Oh, we, we talk about this all the time in, in leadership, whether it's empowerment or uh, anything where we're, we're, we're disappointed in our team members' performance. Right. And, and so, and we talked a little bit about this in the last one, right? First thing I need to do is assume that they wanted to do a good job. Right. And the second thing I need to do is figure out, okay, what did I do that contributed to this situation? Yep. There you go. And so whether it's a task or a relationship, you know, and then there's that, there's this, this, this coaching system where you, where you assume a hundred percent responsibility. Mm. So I'm going to look at this and I'm going to look at this, the current situation between me and this other person and say, I'm a hundred percent responsible. And then list all the things that I did to make, you know, to, to take that responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Love and, that. and it's never the case, but by taking that extreme view, you sometimes surface some of the things that you could be doing more, better, different, or less right. to make that better. Right. I love that. Uh, resisting feedback. Mm. I really don't need this one. <laughs> yeah. uh, don't resist feedback from others. Uh, we often don't know what we don't know. And so that goes back to, you know, the Jahari window yep. and the blind spot. Yep. Uh, we all have blind spots. Uh, and we need to overcome our self-protective uh, instincts that lead us to resist constructive criticism instead of consider feedback as a growth opportunity. Yeah, and we're fond of saying this, right? Well, you know, when we're doing survey unpacks where we're getting feedback on managers and things like that, the, the very first thing that we say is, "Feedback is a gift." That's right. And I'm about to give you this gift, and it's going to smack you around a little. Right. <laughs> you know? That's right. <laughs> You know, and then, you know, the, the, the concept of uh, a friend will tell you what you want to hear. Uh, a great friend will tell you what you need to hear. That's right. And so That's this right. is, this is that example of, of a great friend, right? If, if I'm yeah. getting this feedback and the only way I can continue to receive feedback is not attack the messenger. That's right. That's right. It, it, it's, uh, you know, the, the Jewish proverb, uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? And uh, hey, this person may not even be a friend, but if they're telling you the truth, if they're giving you some feedback, um, that's that's data, that's information you can take and run with if you so choose. So uh, big deal. Um, related to that, blaming and shaming others. Maybe you don't just resist feedback. Maybe you actively throw it back at the other person or somebody else. Um, and basically the idea is, you know, don't do that. Don't blame and shame others in order to deflect your guilt. Uh, control that urge to defend yourself by trying uh, to make others look bad. Um, I, I, we've we've sort of been talking about that this whole time. You know, it's just so tempting to throw that back. Don't do that. Just own it. Oh, definitely. And then there's gossiping and promoting false intimacy. <laughs> Beware of the tendency to connect with others by gossiping about someone else. Being critical and judgmental about others when they are not present can feel like a bonding experience and make for engaging and fun and interesting <laughs> conversation, <laughs> but it's harmful and undignified. I guess the first time we've, we've talked about dignity all this time, it's the first time we've said the word undignified. So, right. um, yeah, and, and we all know the, the rules about this, right? If, if, yeah. if, if I'm gossiping with you about somebody, then you know, when we separate, that person's thinking, well, who are they gossiping about me to? Right, right. You know. and, and what's harder to do is to be vulnerable, right, about yourself. 
it's easy to be vulnerable about somebody else, right? Because there's no vulnerability there. Let's talk about their warts under their kimono, but I'm not going to open up my kimono. That'd be dangerous. Well, so when you're, when you're trying to build intimacy with somebody, instead of talking about the third party, talk about yourself, uh, invite them to do the same. And uh, there's that, that is a vulnerability moment that honors the dignity of both sides. Um, it's the opposite of undignified. Right. Uh, so, uh, but you're going to have to do that. You're, you're going to have to take this step of vulnerability that leads to connection. Again, we're at the end of this episode in episode three of this series, we're going to talk about, uh, what, what exactly does that look like? What do you do? Um, so we want to leave you with this thought, uh, which temptation to violate dignity is your biggest opportunity to address. So, uh, as you have, uh, heard this, uh, whole uh, series, maybe one of these has really resonated with you in the first episode saying, I don't do that. And maybe one of these temptations, like you said, Mike, on one of these, you know, it's like, that's the one I own. Um, which one would you pick out as your opportunity? And then episode three, we're going to talk about some things you can do to, to address that and, and take advantage of that opportunity. Oh, yeah. And as we know from, from you know, any type of problem solving or improvement process that we undergo, the, the first step is to name it. That's right. You, you know, clearly identify the problem. That's right. And so that's kind of the step we're asking here is for you to just, you know, we've given you some, some verbiage, some language to describe yep. what these things are. And I think everyone innately knows what these are, but now we've given you specific language for it so that you can now name it, own it, and then tune in for, for part three, where we talk about, okay, what are we going to do about it? Yeah, perfect. All right. I think it's time for Mr. Dignity himself, uh, John Wolf, to take us home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when I think of dignity role models. <laughs> and there you have it. Another session of contemporaneous extemporizing from Mark and Mike. I know it's redundant, but consider who we're talking about. As always, feel free to share the ideas you heard here. No rights are reserved, no permissions needed. Thanks. See you next time on It Doesn't Take a Genius. That's good enough.